Hi everyone, Ben Eisner here. Welcome to another episode of Knitted Heart, where I talk with endlessly curious masters of their craft about their passions, professions, and their shared hope to bring unity, reconciliation, and a reframing of public discourse through their work. My guest today is internist medical doctor, Steve Mares. Dr. Mares has gotten the reputation amidst several doctors as the doctor's doctor, the physician that physicians send their loved ones to as well as patients they are out of treatment options with. Patients from around the globe travel to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin to see Steve, prior to COVID of course, because he's that good. Dr. Steve happens to be the doctor I went to in 2010 when I was extremely sick and countless doctors I went to couldn't quite identify what was going on with me. As COVID-19 rages, Steve has an abundance of practical medical wisdom for all of us to consider as we face big questions of a vaccine rollout and how we can mitigate the risk of ending up in the hospital. Steve is the founder of Fox Valley Wellness Center in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and I'm sincerely thankful I found his practice at the time I did. And with that, I give you a timely conversation with my good friend and primary physician, Dr. Steve Mares. First of all, thank you so much for doing this, Dr. Steve Mares. Of course, of course. You are the doctor who gave me my life back. You've gotten the reputation as the doctor's doctor. Well, it's funny because it's actually both things. You know, I see the patients where doctors will say, I, I don't know what else to do with you. Go to this guy. Or they'll just be frustrated with their physicians and they'll say, I want to go to somebody that's going to sit down and talk with me. Because as you know, majority of medical evaluations are quick. You know, they're 10 or 15 minutes. They're very superficial. And to really figure out what's wrong with patients, you really have to dig into the patient. And a history really takes time to learn. When I did my training at Marshfield Clinic, my mentor said, if you don't know what's wrong with your patient 95% of the time from the history, go back and take a better history. Don't rely on laboratory. Don't rely on you know diagnostic studies, x-rays, CAT scans. The story is in the history if you take the time to listen. And I, I, in clinic today, I learned two things from patients because I listened something I never knew before. So it's, it's a two-way street when you really are at this type of medicine, integrative, holistic medicine. You've got to really listen to what the patient has to say. And when you do that, you can really usually make a diagnosis. And that's the difference. I remember the very first appointment I had with you, I was led into a very comfortable conference type room. And in you come with a cup of tea and a folder. And you ask me to tell my story as far back as I can remember. That's right. You know, a lot of medicine is really based upon symptoms. You have a complaint, you get a drug. You have two complaints, you get two drugs. Versus why do you have the complaint? You know, most medical school training is disease-oriented. I'm trained in disease medicine. So as an internal medicine physician, my whole world is based upon disease. In integrative medicine, it's based upon wellness and health. These are two different separate models. 
And that's one of the biggest differences between traditional medicine and integrative holistic medicine is the model. We're looking for what can we do to keep you or make you healthy? We talk about diet. We talk about nutrition. We talk about inflammatory markers. We talk about all kinds of things that we can do something about versus you've got a complaint, you get a drug. Two different models. And that's really one of the biggest differences between my practice and a typical internal medicine practice. Disease versus wellness. So my late wife, Julie, and I were working in the emergency department together. She was the charge nurse. She was a head nurse. Um, and I was a physician there. And we got talking about the fact that nobody's looking for causes of disease. So much of medicine is Band-Aid. You know, you, you treat it with a Band-Aid. So we were talking one night, we were thinking, you know, nobody's really looking for the cause, the whys. And we decided, as we were still working in our traditional world of emergency medicine, to start our own practice. And we really didn't know what we were doing. There was really no roadmap and how to start an integrative medicine practice back in the late 90s. I'm coming on to my 23rd year of Fox Valley Wellness at the end of this month. So 23 years ago, there was no blueprint. Now there's all kinds of avenues for physicians who want to start up an integrative practice. But when we started, we said, you know, we want to try to come up with a practice that would look for cause of disease. So as an emergency physician, it was quick medicine. You had a problem, we treated the problem, they're out the door, which was fine, but I really wanted to get into more chronic disease, more delayed type medicine, try to figure out what, what these patients' underlying problem is and figure it out and treat that. So we started this back, we started talking about this in the mid 1990s and we finally got it off the ground like I said, 23 years ago. And, um, you know, initially I was taking chiropractic classes because there were no classes for physicians. I was taking classes from nutritional companies and learning as much as I could, but it was really a fly by the seat of my pants. I just know I had a, a concept. I didn't really know how to get there. So we evolved over time and we, we moved into our new clinic I want to say about 17, 18 years ago, and we've been there ever since. Wow. And then one thing that was illuminating for me specifically, because when I came to you, I had no idea what I had. You heard my story. You had kind of suspicions about what I had, but it begged the question for me, what was it about Lyme disease that you came up against when you realized, wait a second, there's something here and I need to talk about it? You know, when I started this practice up, my initial concept was I wanted to do heart health, women's health, um, cardiovascular, perhaps a little bit of cancer, that kind of stuff. I never wanted to get into Lyme disease. It wasn't anywhere on my radar. But then I had a Lyme patient 
that I made a diagnosis and I treated and that patient got better and told somebody and they told somebody. And before I knew it, I had a Lyme practice because nobody was treating Lyme disease. So I kind of backed into a Lyme practice without ever knowing. It's kind of like my hyperbarics. I'll never forget I was at a, uh, a county society uh, monthly meeting and there's a speaker and we're having dinner. And one of my colleague's wife on a napkin wrote, are you interested in HBO? And I truly thought she meant the television channel. I had no idea what she was talking about, but she knew I started this integrative practice up and she had a child who had cerebral palsy that they were giving hyperbaric oxygen therapy to. So from there, I learned about hyperbarics. And now we have a large hyperbaric chamber in the practice. But again, I never thought I was going to get into hyperbarics, but I kind of backed into that as well. So my direction has been kind of interesting how I got here. It was certainly not a direct road. It was a winding turpentine, serpentine, everything you can do. But when I see a new patient, and I don't care if it's a, a wellness patient, if it's a cancer patient, or if it's a tick-borne patient or whatever, I always tell them I'm going to look at six things on every single one of every patient I see. The first thing is, is there any evidence of infection? So infectious diseases can be anything from tick-borne disease, including Lyme and co-infections, to chronic viral infections, to now COVID. I have over 125 COVID patients, to all kinds of infections. But it's not just the infection that you have to be concerned about. It's what the infection does to the immune system. And it's the immune system where the tire meets the road. I'm an immunologist. So one of the biggest things I do in every patient, I look at their immune system, their T cells, their B cells, their natural killer cells, and their autoimmunity. You want to make sure their immune system is not attacking them. So infection and immunity kind of go hand in hand. The second thing we look at in every patient is inflammation. If I give you a hammer, you hit your thumb, sooner or later, you're going to say, oh. So we're going to look for hammers, and we find them. The third thing is environmental toxins, everything from heavy metals, pesticides, insecticides, volatile solvents, phthalates, dioxins, PCBs, molds, biotoxins. The answer is yes. We live in a very toxic world. We're born with heavy metal toxicity. We're gonna to die with heavy metal toxicity. We get exposed to it every day. It's in our air, it's in our food, it's in our water. So environmental toxins has to be looked at. The fourth area is the endocrine system, your thyroid gland, adrenal gland, neurotransmitters, hormones, and growth hormone. Now, when you look at the endocrine system, there tends to be imbalance there. And if one area is off, you tend to have other areas off as well. The fifth area is nutrition. You heal through sleep. You heal through nutrition. You have to be adequate in both in order to heal. The final thing we tell them to do is genetic testing. I have everybody do the 23andMe test. 
And then we do a follow-up called NutraHacker that interprets the 23andMe to the medical side because there is a lot in the genetics. I can't change the genes, but I can modify the mutations. So by seeing if there's a methylation issue or an issue with B6 or um, dopamine or whatever it is, if you find there's a genetic problem, you can override it with the right supplements or medication therapy. So every patient, I look at six things. And on every single patient, I find something in each one of these areas. So let's just say they come in for Lyme disease. So Lyme is kind of like, if you think of tick-borne disease as an oak tree, Lyme is a single branch off that oak tree. So Lyme or Brillibardorferi, the causative agent, is just one branch off this large tick-borne disease oak tree that could include Babesia, Bartonella, Ehrlichia, Anaplasma, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, Scrub Typhus, uh, Tick-Borne Relapsing Fever, on and on and on and on. And there's viruses and there's protozoan and there's parasites, all from a single tick bite. So I don't use the term Lyme disease anymore. I use the term tick-borne disease. And in the tick-borne disease, what are the infections that you find? Now, we may only find a handful of infections. And remember, the testing we do is based upon a healthy immune system. If these people have been sick for a period of time, their immune system has been beat up for a while, they may not mount a positive Lyme test or Ehrlichia test or anaplasma test. So you hear this all the time. You know, you sound like you have Lyme. You've been bit by a tick. I believe what you're saying, but I did the test that was negative. You don't have it. Well, that's the worst mistake clinicians can make because really what you want to do is clinical medicine, which is what I call duck medicine. And duck medicine is if you look like a duck and you quack like a duck and you walk like a duck, you're probably a duck. So if you've had a history of tick bite or not, you have all these symptoms of tick-borne disease and you do the testing and it's negative, all you can say is you have a negative test. You can't say, I can rule this out. It has to do with what's called the specificity and the sensitivity of the test. Specificity means if you test positive, you have it. Sensitivity means if you test negative, you don't have it. Well, the these tick-borne tests are not 100% specific or sensitive. So you've got to rely on your clinical judgment as well as what you're hearing from the patient and evaluate the immune system before you can really interpret the tick-borne testing. And that I see all the time, where somebody will go in and have a test done and it's negative and they say, well, you don't have Lyme disease or whatever. And the point is they do, and they did but their immune system was beat up for so long that their B cells, which makes plasma cells, which makes immune globulins. And that's the testing we're doing when we're doing these antibody testing are very low because they've had chronic infection. So the tests may be negative, but they're highly positive with infection. So the reliability of the test is as good as the person interpreting the test. And I see this all the time. I see it every day. 
you know, where somebody will come to me and say, well, I was tested for Lyme. They said, I don't have it. And I said, what do you mean? Well, here's my test that was negative. Well, that doesn't mean you don't have it. It just means you didn't test positive for it. That's a big distinction. Because that disease, that infectious disease was in my body for probably estimating six years before you identified it. It was wreaking havoc, not only on my neurological system, but my hormones and my thyroid, so many other countless things that you one by one identified. And you know, I may not even treat a, a patient with tick-borne disease for the first two or three visits. Because if I give somebody a treatment plan before they're ready, they're going to get worse. So if I don't get their immune system active or work on their endocrine system or get their nutritional stores up or get them sleeping better or work on their, their um, inflammation, and then I throw in an antibiotic or an herbal therapy or homeopathic, whatever I give them, I can throw a log on the fire. So you got to be careful about how you treat these patients because if they're too sick and their immune system is too weak and they're too inflamed, and now you're going to throw in a therapy that has a double-edged side to it. An antibiotic, for example, has certainly strong effects, but there's negative effects. And the other thing is when you kill off an infection, you're killing off a biological entity. When you kill a biological entity, you're going to create a biotoxin, the carcass of the organism killing. And if you don't clean the biotoxin, you can get sick. So think of it as a teeter-totter, as a seesaw. If you're doing a lot of killing and not a lot of cleaning, you get sick. If there's a lot of toxin and you're not doing any killing, you get sick. So you've really got to be in a balance of making sure you're killing and cleaning at the same time. So some people are so sick that I can't start them on treatment plan for two or three or even four visits because they're just so ill. Now, some I may start on the first if it's very acute and I feel they can handle it, but that's very unusual because my patient population tends to be pretty sick. So usually that second visit, I may start them on therapy or even the third visit, I may start them on therapy. And it also depends because I have patients come to me who can't see with optic neuritis, people who cannot walk in wheelchairs. You know, remember Lyme disease specifically affects the skin, the heart, the nervous system, the joints and the bladder. So if any of those or a combination of those happen I may have to decide that I start treatment earlier or later, depending on each individual patient. And that's why this whole practice is individualized. It's not, you know, cookie cutter. It's not, you have Lyme disease. Like you said, here's three weeks of docs. Actually it'd be 10 days of doxycycline at, you know, hundred milligrams twice a day for 10 days and you're done with it. We tend to, there's a society, it's an infectious disease society that says, Lyme is hard to catch, easy to treat, and there's no such thing as chronic Lyme. The organization I'm in says Lyme is easy to catch, hard to treat, and chronic Lyme is the norm. And you can't get further apart on the infectious disease spectrum than those two views. And that's why it is so hard for a lot of patients to find a provider that is really literate in 
the world of tick. They're called Lyme literate physicians, which I don't really like. It's just the fact that you want to be literate in what we're talking about. And understanding that this infectious disease, tick-borne disease specifically, can be very difficult to evaluate, to diagnose, and to treat. And you really have to be individualized with the patient. It's not just quick antibiotic, 10 days, you're done. Or even if you've had a tick bite, here's one dose of doxycycline, and it's going to take care of it. It doesn't. All that's shown in the studies is that it'll decrease the risk of the ring rash. That's all it will do. It will not stop the progression of disease. Wow. I got a call from a friend who said, hey, Ben, I've got a friend who is so sick. He's a CFO at a pretty big company, and he literally just had to retire. And he is curled up on in his bed, and he can't do anything. He's gone to every single specialist he can imagine. And all of them said, sorry, we don't know what's going on. And so he was desperate. He called me and he said, Ben, I hear great things about your doctor up in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Tell me why I should pick up the phone and actually walk into another doctor's office. And I said, his name is Raj. I said, Raj, I give you a promise with a capital P that if you go to Dr. Morris and you let him ask you all the right questions and you do every single thing he tells you to do without wondering if it's voodoo or let your analytical mind question what he's doing, I promise you will see results. And so when he decided to take the plunge and call you, his primary physician told him it'll probably be placebo that plays into your mind after going through someone like that, but do what you got to do. That's not the first time you've heard that story. Yeah, it is. And I'm so glad he's doing so much better. And, and the thing is, all we can do is listen to the story and try to figure out what's wrong. And I tell, and you know this, I tell my patients, they're actually family members. Once they come into my clinic, they become my clinic family. I take it really seriously to make my patients better. I mean, I do. It's not just another name. It's not just another number. It's not just, you know, you need to be thinking what it would be like if I'm sitting in that chair versus the chair I'm in. I want to be taken care of the way that somebody would take care of me. You know, I, I want to, I, I want to be the patient advocate. And that's really important to understand what people are going through. You know, and actually, before I went to medical school, before my, my, my path was kind of different because I got my degree in medical microbiology, then I went and got graduate degree in immunology, and then I went on to physician assistant school. And all this time, I was working as a nursing assistant in the hospital. I was, you know, changing bedpans and working for the nurses, basically. But I was still teaching at the medical school. So my medical students would see me on the floor as a nursing assistant, they couldn't figure out what the heck was I doing there. But the point was, I was learning how to take care of patients. And I think it's important for medical students, before they go to medical school, to work in a hospital, to become a patient, to see what it's like to be on the other side. There's a great movie, it's with William Hurt, it's called The Doctor. 
And it's a wonderful portrayal of a cardiovascular surgeon who is above God. You know, he's the narcissist, egotistical, you know, everybody's looking up to him who gets throat cancer and he becomes a patient. And just to see the dynamics of the way that he transfers from this pinnacle of medicine to being a patient and what a patient goes through. And near the end of the movie, he actually makes his residents and medical students go through three days of being a patient saying, I want you to see what this is like. Because most physicians don't understand what it's like being on the other side of the table. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, I've always said the best physicians are the ones that listen to their nurses. Truly the best patients are the one that listens to their patients. Wow. 125 of your patients have or had COVID. What do you think is different in terms of how? We've had two populations. We have my patients who were patients in my practice who got COVID. And then we have patients that came to my clinic with COVID. And what I found right away is my clinic patients were doing substantially better because most of them were on low-dose naltrexone, which is a, a therapy that we use to help boost the immune system and shut off autoimmunity. It helps with sleep. It helps with neurologic complaints. It helps with pain. So the majority of my patients are on low-dose naltrexone, which is a prescription therapy. They're also doing gut therapy. So they're on probiotics, they're on fish oils, they're on digestive enzymes, they're eating well, their nutritional stores are well. So the patients of mine who get COVID did extremely well. The patients that came to me with COVID did not do as well, but once we got them on our program, we kept them out of the hospital except for one patient. I've only had one patient hospitalized uh, that was a patient who does have substantial number of underlying uh, conditions, was on about 12 prescription medications, is elderly. And when I met him for the first time, I said, you're going to end up in the hospital. And he did. But other than that, the key to this is still the immune system. And that's why in every single patient right now, I'm checking everybody's immune system, their complete blood count their B cells, their immune globulins, their T cells, their helper cells, suppressor cells, and their natural killer cells. I'm checking every, everybody on that. I'm also checking vitamin D levels, vitamin C levels, zinc levels. These are all things that we know are critically important. So we have every single patient in my practice right now, I have on six supplements of vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, selenium or Brazil nuts and melatonin. Everybody gets that. And then if they get sick, we tell them we're going to add things in like ivermectin or Plaquenil, or if they have a, a significant cough, sputum production, a low pulse oximetry, lost their appetite, sounds like they may have pneumonia, I may give them an antibiotic, Zithromax for the pneumonia. If their pulse oximetry falls below 90% at room air without doing anything, they're probably going to need a steroid. So we've developed since March, really, these protocols to keep people out of the hospital. Because number one, the hospital is way overworked. 
I feel so bad for the frontline people as being an ER physician for so many years. What they're going through right now, both at the emergency level, at the ICU level, but really every nurse and every physician and any respiratory therapist and every person, lab draw people, everybody, I cannot believe what they're going through right now. I feel very sorry for them. So my job is to keep patients out of the hospital because if they go to the ER and they're not sick enough for admission, they're told to go home and take Tylenol. They're not told to take vitamin D or vitamin C or vitamin A or zinc or selenium or melatonin, nothing. And if COVID is really suspected or if they test positive for COVID, then we know that there's an inflammatory response and there's a hyperviscosity response. And we have to treat both of that. So for the inflammatory, you may add in some quercetin, we may add in some other anti-inflammatory therapies. For the hyperviscosity, just a baby aspirin if there's no contraindication. Because there's phases of COVID. There's the initial phase where the viral replication's occurring. There's a second phase where the inflammatory hyperviscosity is occurring. And it depends on where you are in the phase where you wanna treat these patients. But the goal is to keep them out of the hospital. Once they get hospital, and, and there's a one more step kind of between hospitalization and outpatient, that's there is convalescent plasma and there's also antibody therapy that can be given in a, a COVID center, you know, a COVID clinic or an emergency department, again, to try to keep people out of the hospital. So we're learning how to treat this virus better than we were back in March or April. You know, back then we were doing more hydroxychloroquine, uh, Zithromax. Now we're going more towards ivermectin therapy. Ivermectin is basically the same drug we use for heartworm in dogs. Uh, I've been using it for several decades in tick-borne infections. But what it does, it increases viral shedding 5,000 fold. Let's say that again. Shedding of the virus 5,000 times. That's huge. So, and it's only a once or twice, you know, one or one day or, or two day therapy. Sometimes I'll, I'll continue it a little bit better, but I'll get phone calls the next day after I put somebody on ivermectin or zithromax and ivermectin. They say, I'm better after one therapy. But then they're also doing their D and their C. And, you know, I, I may be adding some quercetin in if I feel or N-acetylcysteine or glutathione. And these are on my protocols that we put together. I've, I've taken some of the alliances from around the country. I've modified them a little bit. I still give credit for that. Um, there's a couple IV therapies that we use. Uh, there's some hospitalization like the MATH plus out of Eastern Virginia Medical School. We utilize some of that. They were also involved at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. So these are alliances that are coming together and finding out what's working at the front line. What we have to be careful of is, I hear this again and again, where's the research? Where's the, the double-blinded placebo-controlled study showing this? Well, unfortunately, we're in a pandemic. And there's really a couple different kinds of research. The best is certainly placebo-controlled, double-blinded, randomized studies. The worst is case study. 
case study is if I give you something, you get better, I'm going to remember that. And the next patient who has that, I give that patient that same thing and they get better. Well, that's a case study that shows a benefit. That's what we're dealing with right now. The, there is some research on these therapies, but by and large, it's case studies. So what we're finding is there is a substantial amount of supplements that have been shown benefit. There are some prescription therapies, including ivermectin, uh, steroid therapy, Zithromax therapy, um, that has been showing benefit to keeping people out of the hospital. And that's what our goal is here, is to keep people out of the hospital. But the key to all of this is still the immune system. Other things I use right now are peptide therapies. Peptides are groups of amino acids that are put into a string. And basically you can give these in injections that patients can do themselves at home. They're called thymosin injections, or you can do them orally, such things as a BPC-157 or B4 frag. These are peptides that are prescription therapy that'll help boost all cell lines, B cells, T cells, natural killer cells, stem cells. They are antiviral. They will help improve white cells. They will improve liver function tests. They will help with fatigue. So for example, I may have somebody who has active COVID doing these thymosin injections every day for 10 or 12 or 14 days to help with the viral infection help boost their immune system, help with their white count, and help with their energy. So there's multiple things that we can do, but it all comes back to the immune system. I swear that's the most critical thing. That's why vitamin D is so important, because we know that boosts the immune system. And vitamin A, which is antiviral, boosts the immune system. And vitamin C boosts the immune system. So these are things that we really wanna make sure that we're doing on a regular basis and really all of our patients. And that's why every patient I'm putting on those six things. But if they get sick, I may want to boost things or add other things in as well. Makes a lot of sense. I haven't even heard that as part of the conversation. What do you hear? You hear, where's the vaccine? Who's getting the vaccine? Um, what population is supposed to get the vaccine? All you're hearing right now is vaccinations. And numbers, yeah. hearing about the numbers of cases of, of COVID-19, the number of deaths and the number of vaccines. That's it. Nobody's talking about, nobody's talking about what we can do. Nobody's talking about, you know, Bill Maher um, on HBO. He's got a show that, you know, I, he's got a lot of controversial things, obviously, but he said something that I really like. And I'm going to credit Bill Maher for this. He says, how come nobody's talking about diet during this pandemic? How come nobody's talking about go have a salad, go eat a normal meal? You know, and I'm thinking, how perfect is that? Bill Maher is saying, you know, people be smart about this. Eat, think about your nutrition. Think about your diet. Think about your lifestyle. You know, there are things you can do. But uh, nutrition is still going to be a critical part because the immune system is primarily made in the gut. Yes. Do you remember my three most important words in my practice? Refresh me. The gut, the gut, the gut. <laughs> it's where your immune system is made. It's where your neurotransmitters. It's where you're going to 
utilize your nutrients, we're going to eliminate your waste. You know, the gut is critically important. Lori and I are just, my wife and I are just finishing our 10 day detox. We do it every January. The gut is important. You know, take care of your gut. The gut will take care of you. Well, at that, Steve Morass, I am thankful for your time and for you. And thanks for giving me this hour. And I wish you and Lori a great weekend watching the Packers and enjoying the snow. Go Pack Go. You make sure to say hi to Rebecca and the girls for us. I will for sure. Okay, my friend. Peace to you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Stay well. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you found this insightful, please share with everyone that came to your mind as you listened. For more information on Dr. Steve's practice, Fox Valley Wellness Center, and how you can be added to his patient list, visit foxvalleywellness.com. Another source for learning to cook anti-inflammatory and gut healing dishes to boost your immune system, check out my wife Rebecca's cookbook, Eat Like This, which was inspired by Dr. Steve's gut health priorities. Also, you can visit my website, knittedheart.com. To hear previous episodes, investigate further resources, and hear more about my ongoing work as a filmmaker. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and share with your friends. This is the best way to spread the good word, which allows me to constantly broaden my reach with future episodes. Peace to you until then, and bye-bye for now.